All right. Well, listen, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. And while you are turning there, I, I want to do the best job I can to make sure that we are all on the same page, that we are all talking about uh, the same thing and that when we use words, we're talking about the same words and so are meaning the same thing. And so it, real quick, let me just catch you up in Bible history to where we find ourselves in chapter nine. In Genesis chapter 12, we find the Lord calling a man named Abram uh, to respond in faith and to follow him, to go where he would send him And there was a promise, there's a covenant, there's a beginning of a relationship that God would have with Abram and his future family. And the way that it went is like this, that the Lord said, Abram, through you and through your family, I'm going to bless the entire world. All nations will be blessed through your family. And he says in that, he says, look, when people bless you and your family, I'll bless them. When people come against you and your family, I'll come against them too. But in the grand scheme of things, what I'm doing is I'm gonna bring about blessing to the entire world through your family. And so Abraham or Abram becomes Abraham. Abraham's family grows and grows and grows. And as we end the book of Genesis, we have this really large family that's broken up into 12 tribes. And so you have uh, one of those tribes is a tribe uh, of Benjamin. Benjamin was the great grandson of Abraham. And today we will encounter someone that is a, uh, a Benjamin, not, uh, uh, is from the tribe of Benjamin. I can't say that. Uh, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, you try it when you're on the stage. And, uh, and, and so I want you to know where that comes from, okay? And so this big family which is broken up into 12 tribes over several hundred years as the book of Genesis ends and Exodus begins, this family has grown into a nation. God will raise up Moses and God will raise up Aaron to lead the people who had grown into a nation and were enslaved by the Egyptians. He will raise up Moses and Aaron to lead the people out of Egypt into a land that he gave to them where they would be free to worship and serve him. God's people, Israel, from that time forward until where we are today, they have been like a little seesaw. They've been going up and down in their commitment to the Lord. And so we find them very inconsistent in their walk with God. And so they would turn from the Lord and they would turn to the gods, the false gods of the other nations. Okay, And so the entire book of, uh, if you need a recap of that history, read the book of Deuteronomy. After that comes the book of Joshua, where we see God's people, the people that we're still talking about here in 1 Samuel, they are given the promised land, the land that God gave them to worship him. And then we have after that, the book of Judges, where the Lord sets up some leadership. So he would raise up a person, a judge who would go. And as the people rebelled, they would say, don't, you know, worship and serve the false gods, worship the God who rescued you from Egypt. 
Okay, so read the book of Judges. You can understand the history of that time. It summarizes, as we've seen the last two weeks with this phrase, there was no king in the land and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. We have the beautiful story of Ruth that I wish I could talk about, but I can't right now. And it foreshadows a King David. Uh, 1 Samuel begins and we saw the first week Samuel is born and he will be the last of the judges. He'll be the last of the ones that would be raised up by God that would say, hey, turn back to the, to the Lord. He's the, he's the last of what is known as a judge. He also is a priest and he also is a prophet. Samuel grows older and his time on earth begins to see like an end. And so he, last week we saw, got his two sons who were not, they weren't good leaders. Uh, they were, they actually lived for themselves. They served with injustice and he puts them in leadership positions. The elders of the people of Israel get very nervous by this. And so they go to Samuel and they say, we need a king, not your sons. We need a king, not you. We need a king. And though they didn't realize they were saying it, they said, we need a king, not God. Okay. And so last week we saw there, they demanded for a king. And when they did, the Lord told Samuel, they didn't reject you, Samuel. They've rejected me. Okay. And so last week we looked at how that happened and what that meant. And really our time last week ended in this way. Verse 18 of chapter eight, uh, Samuel says, hey, you're gonna have a king. I'm gonna set one over you. You're not gonna like it. He's gonna oppress you. And then you're gonna cry out and you're gonna want me to cry out to the Lord. And I'm gonna be like, told you so. Okay, so that's kind of what he says. So verse 18, in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you've had chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Verse 19, but the people refuse to obey. Okay, so I want you to circle, underline, highlight that word obey. That's gonna play a big part in our message today. That you, they refuse to obey. The same word is to listen. They refuse to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all these words, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, the word again, here it is, listen and obey, obey their voice and make them king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So last week we ended with this scene. And so they have all gone home and the plan is in place for Samuel to go and with the Lord's leadership, find him a king, okay? So that's where we pick up today. Uh, look with me at chapter nine. We're gonna start off this chapter meeting a man of Benjamin. So someone who was part, his descendants of the great grandson of Abraham. Okay, his name is Kish. Make a side note here that Kish and this whole phrase, one that comes from the tribe of Benjamin will come up again in the Bible and it will be in the book of Esther that we studied not that long ago. And so if you want to see another connection here to ultimately Saul, 
uh, and, and to this people, go study the book of Esther and look at a man named Mordecai. If you don't want to read it for yourself, then go back online and listen to our messages because they're there, okay? And so you can learn a little connection here to this text. But, but we meet a guy named Kish who is from the tribe of Benjamin. He's a man that we're told is of great wealth and he had a son. It's here that we meet his son, Saul. What do we learn about uh, Saul? There was not a man among Saul. He was a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel that were more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Okay, so it's here in your outline that we're gonna look at number one. We're gonna meet Saul. And this is gonna be the king Israel was looking for. This is the king they were looking for. This is gonna be the kind of king they desired. When they said, we need a king over us, we're meeting the type of person they were referring to. This guy, Saul. We're told that he was just a straight up dude, okay? Like he is tall, he is dark, and he is handsome. He is everything that I am and more. Okay, and less. Uh, he is tall, dark, and he is handsome. He, he is the most handsome guy in all of, with, from all the people. He is the tallest man by far of all of the people. He is a commanding presence. We also find out he seems to be, at least overall, fairly godly. And we're gonna find out that he seems to be a family guy, okay? He's a family man. This is like Mr. Israel, okay? And so like whether he realizes it or not, that's who we know him to be, okay? So we look at him and go, when we think of a leader, we want somebody to go to judge us, to go before us. We want somebody to fight our battles. It's a big dude named Saul over there. He's good looking and he can fight, okay? That's who we want. That's who we want. Well, we meet him here early in chapter nine. Right after we're given this description of him, we find out that Kish, his daddy, lost his donkeys, okay? So he's a wealthy man, got a bunch of animals, I'm sure, some of which were donkeys. He has lost some and he sends his ginormous good-looking son to go find them, okay? So he sends Saul to go find these donkeys. Saul goes to this city and that city. He goes to this town and that town. He cannot find his daddy's donkeys. Finally, the guy that is with him and, uh, and Saul have a conversation and Saul says, look, it's been several days. Dad is not gonna be very worried about the donkeys anymore. He's gonna be super worried about us. Okay, we probably need to go back. Guy that's with him says, hey, bit of info. Let me inform you real quick. There is a man of God who is in the city that we're in. And everything he says comes to be. Everything he says comes to pass. He's an honorable man. He's a man of God. Everything he says, it, it happens, it comes to be. And, and so they said, we got to go find this guy. Well, you can imagine who this man of God is. It's our boy, Samuel. Okay. It's Samuel. This is uh, wise Samuel. I, I imagine, I don't know what he looked like exactly. We get a description later in the book of first Samuel, but that long robe, probably some awesome, you know, beard. And he just comes like looking like Kyle, you know, come, uh, coming, coming through with his robe on. And, and, and so like he's walking through town. Everybody knows he's there. The, the talk of the city, Samuel's here. 
Okay, they go looking for Samuel. In the meantime, we find out that Samuel, the day before, has been talking with the Lord about the king. The Lord says, there is going to be a person from the tribe of Benjamin. You're gonna meet him tomorrow. He's gonna be the guy. I'll let you know when you see him. Set him up as prince over the people. He doesn't use the word king. He uses the word prince. Set him up as prince over the people. So these two end up, you know, making eye contact. And so you got, you know, long beard, robed Samuel walking that way. You got ginormous, good looking dude, Saul walking his way. They both make eye contact and they go, yep, that's who I'm looking for. So he goes to Saul, Saul goes to Samuel. They meet and Saul speaks first and he goes, hey, I'm looking for the seer. I'm looking for one. He goes, well, I am the seer. Like, you know, duh. Like, obviously, look at me. Like, you knew I was. That's why you came to me. And so anyway, they get in a conversation. Samuel says, yes, I, basically, I've been waiting on you. There actually is, I need you to go with me to the high place up here. We're gonna go up to this, uh, up on this hill. There's a dinner waiting on us. There's about 30 people. They're waiting on us to get there. They're waiting on you. They're waiting on me. They can't eat until I get there and pray because that's what ministers do. And they're like, you know, we, we've got to go. Okay, now it's more serious than that. But they, uh, they get to the table for Samuel to bless, uh, to bless the food. Ultimately, what happens is they walk in the room. Saul has no idea. He's, he's still looking for his donkeys. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and Samuel says, don't worry about the donkeys. They're good. They're found somewhere. You just come with me. We're having a big meal. They get to the table and there's a spot at the end of the table. He goes, this is for you, man. Saul, this is your spot. And then he tells the people that prepared the food. He said, hey, that big portion that I told you about, that king-sized portion, go ahead and bring that to this guy right here. We're here to celebrate you today. Now, doesn't tell him why, doesn't say anything. He says, now, after this, you're gonna get a good night's sleep, buddy, because I know you're stressed out right now about the donkeys and stuff. You're gonna get a good night's sleep. You'll wake up, and then I'll tell you all that you need to know. Somehow, it appears that Saul goes to sleep. Samuel meets him that morning, takes him away from those that were with him, so takes him away by himself. And in chapter 10, he anoints him as the new prince over the people. He uses the same word that God told him to, the prince. He, you're gonna be the one that is going to be raised up to lead the people. Now, this must have shocked Saul, as you can imagine. And so he, of course, plays the card where he goes, are you kidding me? Who am I? You know, like, not me. Have you seen the tribe I'm from? And I mean, of course, Samuel's like, yeah, of course I've seen you. You are seven feet tall and you're good looking, okay? So like, you're gonna lead the people. But like, he plays the humble card. I'm not sure if it's real or not, but he, he plays it. Chapter 10 comes about and it's like the big coronation day, okay? So it's the time that it's gonna be announced publicly. They get ready for the big like crowning of the king. First time this has ever happened with God's people. And guess what? Saul's not there. They can't find him. They can't find him for like eight hours because he's hiding in the luggage. Now, I, I might can hide in the luggage, okay? This guy can't hide in the luggage, all right? So they're like, yeah, we see you, Saul. You know, like, um, your head and your whole body's sticking out of the bag. Uh, you know, but, but they, they get him and they bring him out. Point is, the man is made king. Okay, he's anointed, he's proclaimed as king. And so I want you to see that there under uh, point A. 
Saul anointed as king. Secondly, got to get there. Here we go. I want you to see Saul's success as king. And this really takes place from chapters 11 through 14. I'm going to summarize it for you. The main bulk of our time today needs to be chapters 15 and 16. But chapters 11 through 14, most of what he does, most of his leadership can be characterized by this. It's what the Lord raised him up for. And it's to go against and defeat the Philistines who were oppressing God's people. Okay, so God said, I heard the cry of my people. I'm raising up this guy as a prince. He's gonna defeat the Philistines. So he raised him up. Chapters 11 through 14, it's really all about him leading in war. Okay, he goes before the people and he fights for and with the people and they defeat those they go against. So the enemies of God's people, they're being defeated with the leadership of Saul. And so we see at least a military success here at the beginning as, as they are uh, being freed from those who were oppressing them. And so we, we see some success here with Saul as king. And you can just imagine as you're reading it, this is exactly who we thought he would be. This is what we expected. The people are going, this is what we asked for and we're getting it. Well, I want you to see part C there, Saul's problem as king. We get a glimpse of it in chapter 13. It will be a glaring issue and an ultimate rejection that will come from this problem in chapter 15. Chapter 13, there is... uh, you know, a disturbance in the camp of God's people. And so they've got people coming against them. They're preparing to go to battle. This is a really intense time. And what really is happening is they're waiting on the voice of the Lord. They're wanting on the Lord to say, this is what's gonna happen. I've given them to you, or I haven't given them to you, or this is what you're gonna do. They're waiting on the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord is, they are told will come from Samuel. Samuel said, I'll be there in seven days. Seven days passes, he hadn't got there yet. You guys, look, Samuel comes when Samuel wants to come. Like you're gonna gonna, gonna learn more about him as we go. He is a dude too. And he's a dude that probably is pretty awkward to be around and to talk to. And he just kind of shows up when he's ready. Well, it hadn't been, it's been a little past the time Saul is feeling the pressure from the people. They're starting to flee. They're hiding you know, behind rocks. And, and so he, he goes, I can't wait on Samuel anymore. He sacrifices, he goes to the Lord. Now you would think that's a good thing, but it's not because he didn't listen. And this is something that we have that's gonna be uh, something that plagues his life. He doesn't listen. He listens, but he doesn't listen. He listens, but he doesn't obey. Samuel gets there and says, what did you do? He's like, man, you said you were gonna be here in seven days. And he goes, no, 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 no. He's like, man, because of what you've done, your family is gonna be removed from the kingship. None of your kids will be a king after you. You're, you're still king, but nobody in your family is coming after. That's a pretty, I mean, that seems harsh, but we're gonna find that this is a characteristic of what God was looking for in his king. One that would listen and obey. Chapter 15, we get there and this is huge. I gotta check our clock. All right, chapter 15, we're gonna see not just a problem. We're gonna see this problem play out 
in Saul's rejection as king. Go to chapter 15. This is a, this is a difficult text in the Bible. All right. So we're told in chapter 15, verse one, and Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now, therefore, here's the word again, listen. It's the same word that we had before in chapter eight, the word obey. It's the same word, okay? It's gonna be the same word we're gonna hear in just a little bit. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. We're gonna have the same exact word, okay? So please don't miss it. He says, now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord, obey the words of the Lord and listen to what the Lord asked him to do. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, I've noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. This is back, make a mark, Exodus 17. Like this is going back in the day. But go back to where I told you earlier, we got to remember the history as we read the story. And we go back and this is when the people have been taken out of Egypt. They've been freed by the Lord out of Egypt into a land where they can worship and serve God. The Amalekites come, uh, or the people of Amalek, they come against God's people there and they are defined over and over and over again as enemies of God's people, enemies of Israel. Chapter 15, we have the Lord saying, hey, I've taken note of what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. And this is so troubling, but you need to hear it, okay? Look at the very next part and I'm gonna read it word for word. Do not spare them but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Saul gathers up his people, they go, they fight, they bring back, they, they, they do devote to destruction, but not everything, not all the people. They keep for themselves Agag, who is the king, who also that name will come up again in Esther. Another reason to go back and listen. Uh, they keep Agag and the best of the animals, the best of the cattle. Samuel, uh, well, first before Samuel comes up, also Saul goes, he raises up a monument for himself and he is just feeling great and awesome. He is feeling like he is the best king that has ever been. And he is now going to have an encounter with Samuel that is just flat out shocking to Saul. Saul meets Samuel and Samuel says, what have you done? What have you done? You were supposed to listen and obey. Saul says, I did obey. I did exactly what you told me to do. I went and I, I did devote the people to destruction. I did do this. I did do that. And, and Samuel says, no, you did it. You, you kept Agag. He's here. And you kept this, the best of cattle. Listen to what Saul tells him about the cattle. He says, we kept the animals to sacrifice to God. 
Like it's not even, it doesn't even appear that it was for selfish gain. He kept the animals to sacrifice for a worship service. And he spared, and he spared the king and maybe, we don't know this, but there's speculation that he spared, spared kids as well. All of which to our minds makes sense, Okay. So we're gonna have an apologetical question that we're gonna look at. It's on your outline, but I want us to ask the question surrounding Saul's rejection because he will be rejected as king because of this very thing, that he didn't obey fully the word of God. Question surrounding Saul's rejection. The first one is this, why would God call him Why would God call Saul to do something so awful? Like like that's just the question that most of you probably have when you read that statement, when when you read it and it gives specifics. Because a lot of times if we talk in generalities, we can be okay. But when we talk in specifics, it really yanks at the heart. It really affects our brains. And right here, when we read this, when we read men, women, children, infants, We start asking a lot of questions. So why would God call him to do something so awful? And what I want you to see is this, is that when God sends his people in to fight Amalek and when he calls them to go and devote to full destruction, this is not a war in itself. This is not go and gain power. This is not like what everybody really does to get position uh, and gain, okay, nationally. And it's take from others and keep for yourself. Worldwide, how power people become powerful. This is not what he's calling them to do. He's not saying go and fight, destroy and keep. He is saying go and devote it all to destruction. And it's showing us something that's very unique It's not something that happens today. It's something that happened in the Old Testament under the old covenant. And it is God bringing justice through. This is different than going and fighting for gain. This is God executing justice. He's using his people to do it. There was a lesser form of this that God would use against even his own people, the Israelites with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians. Okay, And so so we find uh, God using others to bring about his holy wrath or his judgment. That's what this is here. And so whether or not we can understand it is not the thing that we're dealing with here. This is the Bible telling us what's happened and what was happening. And what happened is that Saul, instead of doing what God told him to, instead of being the instrument that he was raised up to be, he kept for himself the best of the animals and he kept Agag alive. In this same text, we have where the Lord is going to speak through Samuel and say, it is better to listen. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. And so what he's doing here is saying, it's better to listen and obey the Lord than it was to get those animals and come and try to worship me. I called you to something and you did not do it. So when we look at this and we see something so awful, we we have to also connect this to something like the flood. 
when it wasn't just a few people, it was a lot of people. And it wasn't just people that were old and ripe in age. It was people that were young and small. It was animals. It was, it was all kinds of people, all ages. And so why would God call him to do something so awful? We have to remember when we talk about it being awful is this, God's justice and God's judgment is not, it is not awful in itself. It is actually a wonderful thing. It is something that is good and it is right. And a God who is just is a God who shows us love. It's the same God. And so we have to be able to trust the God who calls Saul to do such a thing. We have to learn to trust the God who floods the earth. I believe that we can learn to do that best as we see the third little bullet point down under that. How does the cross of Christ inform us as we seek to study, interpret and apply this text? For us to be able to understand and trust, for us to be able to place ourselves and submit ourselves under the Lord, it's gonna take us looking through the cross, looking through the cross and God dying in our place, looking through the cross, Jesus, the one who died for us, who says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. It's gonna take us looking through the cross, where on the cross, the one who did no wrong, the one who never sinned, was crushed, he was punished, he became sin, he became what would be punished. So that me and you who look to Christ would never be. We look through that. We look through the cross and we look to 1 Samuel 15 and we say, the God who is the same character as Jesus Christ. The God, same heart, same motivation, same grace, same God. That's the God of 1 Samuel 15. That's the God of the flood. That's the God who I can trust. That's the God who I trust with justice. That's the God who I trust with. That's not a full explanation there, but I hope it gets you in the right direction or helps you. But what we see is in this first section is we see Saul and he's the king that Israel was looking for. And he did some good things, but ultimately his rejection came because, because he didn't have a heart really after the Lord. He, he didn't listen and obey. He was self-deceived. He thought he obeyed, but in truth, he did not. And he was rejected as king. I want you to see secondly, David, the king that God saw. David, the king that God saw. Chapter 16 starts and it says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I, I will send you to Jesse. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And look at this phrase. It's at the end of verse one. This is so awesome. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. 
The, the, the word there for provided is I see, I see. I see among him. I see among his family, my king. I see my king in his household. That's gonna make a big difference in just a few seconds when we see, for the Lord sees not like man sees. The Lord sees his king. So Samuel goes and Samuel's making his way. And this is one of my favorite scenes. He's making his way to Jesse's house and he starts coming in town and everybody's like, oh no, not, no, not this guy. And I, I don't mean to disturb you, but it's in the scripture. The ending of chapter 15, Samuel goes to Agag and Samuel comes up to him and he says, hey man, can't this? And he hacked him into pieces. That happens. Chapter 16, Samuel's making his way into Bethlehem and everybody's going, what? No, 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 no. Whoa, what are you doing here? What's happening? Can we help you? Can we help you from really far away? Can we, can we help you? And he's like, man, I'm, look, I've got something going on today. I'm coming here. Uh, I, I need to go to Jesse's. You know, I'm gonna do a sacrifice today. He's gonna come find him, okay? So he's nervous about Saul looking for him and the people are nervous that Samuel came to town. And uh, that's the, kind of the context of 16. We're told that he comes and he's before Jesse and his family. Verse six says, when they came, he looked on Eliab. And he thought, this is the, the, the biggest of the sons of Jesse. He says, Samuel doesn't learn either, okay? He says, surely the Lord's anointed is here. So big boy comes up, not as big as Saul, but he's big boy, okay? And he walks up and he goes, this is the king. Surely this is the king. The Lord said to Samuel, verse seven, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Now keep in mind, same word rejected is what he uses the chapter before about Saul. So he's saying, I have, he's not my king. He says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so we have here that we see under the, who the king saw or the, the king God saw, uh, we see God's perfect vision. In, in chapter nine, verse 16, God saw the affliction of his people. He knew where they were. He knew, to what, he knew what they needed. Uh, the first verse of chapter 16, God saw his king in the house of Jesse. And then here we're told something that we need to take home with us. And it's a truth about God. And it's God doesn't see like we see. We look on outward appearance. God is able to look on the heart. He has perfect vision. Well, as the story goes, we have the sons of Jesse are presented to Samuel. Well, here's the next one. Now, Lord rejected him, not, not the one. Here's the next one. 
No, it's not, not, not him. The Lord just told me no. Here's the next one. No, God actually keeps, he keeps telling me no. I don't, I don't understand. They get to the end and he, and he goes, that's it. And Samuel says, do you, do you have another boy? Is there, is there another son? And he's like, are you, are you kidding? Like, yeah, we, I do. It, David, he's a boy and he's keeping the sheep right now. He's little and he's cute and he's taking care of the sheep and he's really little right now. Did you see Eliab? And we learn something else about the Lord as he anoints, as he says, that's the one. That's the one. That's who we need, Sam. Little David. We learn God's not only perfect vision, but we learn about God's surprising ways. God's surprising ways. See, look, David in the near future, he's, go, he's gonna be awesome. He's got some major, major morality flaws that we will talk about. But David as an overall leader, he's gonna be, he's gonna be awesome. He's gonna grow. He's not gonna stay little. I mean, we get David and Goliath next week and even there when he comes with his little slingshot, we're, we're gonna see, I mean, he's still a little dude. He can't even wear the armor, okay? Like, like, but he's gonna grow up. He's a musician. He's a writer. You know, he's an athlete. Okay, he'll be a warrior. Like he's, he's a dude too. But at this point, it's so surprising because he's out with the sheep. He's a little boy. God's surprising ways. This, this teaches us something about how God saves. It teaches us something to look for, patterns that we notice, that we can look back to the cross and we can also consider in our daily lives today. He doesn't always do what the obvious thing would be. He has perfect vision. And he works after he sees, he works in perfect wisdom and goodness. He's completely trustworthy to do not what we think he should do, but what is best. And here, it's not only perfect vision, we see it can be surprising ways that he does it. And he raises up David and we'll talk about David really for the rest of our series. But when we think about David and we think about the way that he saves and we think about, you know, just the, the unforeseen, the unexpected way that he raises David into leadership, we think of Christ. We think of Christ, number three here. We think of Jesus, the unforeseen king that we all need. The unforeseen king that we all need. See, God, uh, we, need, we need to see the God who has always had perfect vision. The God who sees perfectly our needs. The God who knows exactly what is best for us. He still does today. God who knows our greatest need and how it was met in an unforeseen way, in a surprising way. We close our time, I want you to go to Isaiah 53. 
There's so many places we could go. This is just, this is just one. Isaiah 53, starting in verse one. Who has believed what he's heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. And that word root, we, we think of another biblical reference in Isaiah, the root of Jesse. Like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Nothing looked kingly about him. Nothing. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. We don't get together. We didn't gather up and say, this is the king we need. We look the opposite direction. And that's all of our story. We look somewhere else and we said, this is what will make me. This is what we need. We didn't see, they, they didn't see in Isaiah. They wouldn't see when Christ came and we on our own, we, we don't see now. We're told that he was despised and he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The one that they didn't see, the one they didn't expect, the one that didn't have majesty that when you looked at him, you said, that, that's the one. That's the one. It was him. God in the flesh, in humanity, full humanity, humbled, walk in the streets of the Palestine, accomplishing for us in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, our greatest need. The thing that we could never do on our own, the thing that we could never accomplish, our very salvation. Jesus Christ, our perfect King, the King of all grace, the one who even when they rejected, the one that God knew, oh, he'll be the one. He'll be the one that'll go before him. He'll be the one that'll go before him. He'll be the one that can fight their battle. My son, my king, the one who God, our father has seen from the very beginning. Jesus, the unforeseen king we all need. Today, I say to you this, maybe you need to hear today that if God could meet our ultimate need in Christ, he can be trusted with the needs that you have today, whatever they are, because they're lesser needs. 
If he can meet us in the greatest need, he can meet you in the lesser one. And so today, wherever you are, if today that you're struggling like Saul to wait on the Lord, I tell you, be reminded he's trustworthy, he's good. Wait on him, cry out to him. If today you sit here and you realize that like Saul, you listen, but you haven't obeyed. Let the king of grace speak over you and say, there's grace for you. Look to the cross. Look at what he's done. There's freedom and there's grace. There's restoration for you. Today, get up, live, sin no more, trust him. The Lord calls you to freedom today. The Lord loves you, he cares for you. And we're reminded of that even when we study a book written so long ago. God loves us. God cares for us. God has provided for us in his son. Look to him, receive him, cling to him, walk in him, love like him today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you love us and care for us and you guide us through it. Thank you that you're a God who can be uh, trusted in all things, even things that blow our mind when we read in chapter 15. We can be reminded that you are trustworthy and you are good, you are righteous. God, I pray that today that you would draw all that are here to see you, to look to you, to turn to you, to cling to you today. God, bring life in this place. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.